We've been talking about, beginning last week and into this week and next week, Lord willing, we've been talking about when God gives people answers to their prayers that are contrary to his will. The title of the series that we've given it is When Wrong Requests Are Granted. Now, Perhaps you can testify to this. I look back on some of the things I asked God for, and I am so thankful that he said no. But every once in a while, to teach us a lesson, God will say yes to something that's not best for us so we can learn. You know, Perhaps you've done that with your kids. They want something. They want to do something. You know it's not what's best for them, but that they might learn, well, okay, go ahead. You'll find out. You'll find out. No, Dad, I saw this on I saw this on on TikTok. You can stop a sealant. You can stop a, a box fan with your tongue. Okay. Maybe don't let them learn that lesson. That could be bad. Um, but when wrong requests are granted, and it's interesting, we see this three times in Scripture. Probably more than that, but we picked out three. We see this three times in Scripture, and what's interesting is they match up beautifully with the three things that come against the Christian. Last week, we talked about feeding the flesh. The children of Israel, in the, there in the wilderness in Numbers chapter 11, they had not yet been consigned to wander for 40 years, but that would soon take place. But they were complaining about the manna. They wanted meat. They wanted to feed their flesh. And we learned something about that. And then next week, Lord willing, we'll talk about the role that the devil plays in our life. But what's the third thing that comes against the Christian? The flesh, the devil, and what? The world. And what we see today in 1 Samuel chapter 8 is we see a group of people who wanted the world. Now, let me go ahead and define the world for you so we're all on the same page. It's so important that we define our terms. There's three ways that the world is used in the Bible. The first is earth, the world. God made the worlds, the planet. I'm not against the planet. I'm for the planet. Now, I don't go to the length that some people are being for the planet. You know, I think that you can use the planet without abusing the planet. Okay? Um, you know, so I don't, I don't go the, to, to the realm that some environmental activists go, but I do like the planet, and I do want it clean and operating correctly. I'm for the planet. So I'm not preaching to you to be against the planet, okay? Also, the world would mean the people of the world. Are we to love people? Yes. Are we to strive to reach people? Yes. For God so loved the world, the people of the world, okay? But the third way is what we're focusing on today, and that's the world system, the world's philosophy, the world's way of thinking, the world's way of uh, defining things. As Christians, we need to see that for what it is, and that is dangerous and damaging and deadly. Wanting the world. So, Father, would you help us now? I have great confidence in your word. I have great confidence in its truth. I have very little confidence in me. So, Lord, would you move me out of the way of this thing, and may Jesus, through his Holy Spirit, speak to our hearts in just the way you want to today. Bless your word and use it, and may Christ be lifted up. 
For it's in his name we pray. Amen. We're going to use the same four questions that we used last week, and Lord willing, we'll use next week. We'll ask four questions. Number one, what was the request? What was the request? First Samuel chapter 8, verse number 4. Then all the elders of Israel gathered themselves together and came to Samuel and to Ramah and said unto him, Behold, thou art old. <laughs> that always gets me when I read that. Behold, thou art old. And, and I, think, I think of a dear gentleman back in Alabama. He's in heaven now. Um, and uh, anyway, he came to me. For those of you that don't know, my first church in Alabama, I pastored for five years as a single man. I wasn't married. I never had been married. I pastored as a single man. And uh, I was in my 30s, and uh, this, this, this precious man, after a service, I don't know what possessed him to do it, but he walked up to me, and he said, you know, I've been thinking about something. I said, what's that? He said, you know, statistically, you're probably never going to get married. I said, bless your heart, brother. I appreciate that. Uh, <laughs> well, statistically, you don't have long. But um, anyway, uh, I didn't say that. I thought it, but I didn't say it. Um, <laughs> but I, I kind of feel like that was the same way maybe Samuel felt when they said, Behold, thou art old. Well, thank you, brother. Appreciate that. <laughs> and thy sons walk not in thy ways. Let me talk about something real quick. Some people have made an unfair comparison between Samuel and Eli. Eli's sons did wrong because Eli didn't restrain them. There's nothing to suggest that Samuel was complicit in this or that he didn't try to make his sons do right. You understand there's some godly parents out there whose kids just made bad decisions anyway. So sometimes, now parents, we ought to do what we can, but sometimes we put the blame on parents where that shouldn't be. Can I remind you of a parent that put his kids in a perfect environment and they still messed up? His name is Jehovah. Adam and Eve had a perfect environment and they still made the bad decisions, didn't they? So, so, so there's nothing to suggest that Samuel, and you say, well, he made them judges. That's true. He made them judges and he put them in Beersheba. Do you know where that is? That's as far away from everybody else as it can be. So maybe they were gifted in, in administration and somebody needed to do the job. And he said, okay, y'all got to do the job, but you're going down to Beersheba where nobody is. Okay. So I think we give Samuel kind of a, a, a bad, bad break on that. But they said, you're, you know, your sons walk not in thy ways. Now, here's the request. Now, make us a king. Their request was to leave the system in which God had ruled them directly, what we would call a theocracy, because that's what he had done since the Exodus. He had ruled them directly through Moses and then through Joshua and then through the judges. And now they were, he was ruling them through Samuel, the last of the judges, and the people want a king. Now, here's the question. They wanted a monarchy. They wanted a rule by a man. Was this wrong in and of itself? What was wrong with this request? I would submit to you that the, the, the request itself was not wrong. It was the motives behind it. You see, in this case, a monarchy was not outside of God's will. Back in Genesis 35, verse 11, God's speaking, speaking, speaking. <laughs> he's speaking, he's talking with Abraham. And God said unto him, I am God Almighty, be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall be of thee, and kings shall come out of thy loins. There was a plan in God's mind to establish a kingship 
for Israel. Now, it involved his son, the Messiah, but he was intending for them to have a monarch. But their way of implementing this was what the problem was. Now, if you don't get anything else I say this morning, this is what we need to get. Okay, What was wrong with their request that they wanted a king? Okay, Here's the first thing that was wrong with it. Two things. It embraced the world. Look at verse number 8, and verse number 5, rather. Said unto him, Behold, thou art old, and thy sons walk not in thy ways. Now make us a king, watch this, to judge us like all the nations. We don't just want a king. We want to be like the nations around us. Now, if you know anything about these nations, these Canaanite nations, the Hittites and the Amorites and the Jebusites and all of those ites, they were wicked beyond belief. They were involved in things that were so horrible, I'll not sully the pulpit by telling them to you. These were terrible, terrible societies and civilizations. And yet Israel wanted to be like them. That's why when God sent them into the promised land, he made it pretty clear what their job was. Destroy them. Because if you leave them, they're going to pollute you. They're going to mislead you. And they did. And they're already doing it. It embraced the world. Now remember, I'm not talking about people, and I'm not talking about the planet. I'm talking about the system. Christians, we have got to get it through our thick skulls that the world's system is not friendly to us. It is not compatible with these scriptures. It is not good for our souls. It is not good for our families. The world's system hates everything that we believe in and hold dear, and yet we keep trying to get as close to that system as we possibly can without what we think will offend God. We have got to be willing to take a stand and saying, I may be in this world, but by God's grace, I dare not be of this world. Sometimes we get stark reminders of just how wicked and terrible and awful the world really is. You see, the first flaw was that it embraced the world. The second flaw was that it rejected God. Look at verse 6. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed unto the Lord, and the Lord said unto Samuel, Hearken unto the voice of the people and all that they say unto thee. For they have not rejected thee, But they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them. Periodically, we'll have someone take issue with something that we teach in our school or the way we handle something in our school, something that is biblical, something that is non-negotiable, and they pull their kid out. 
Now, that never makes us happy, but sometimes that happens. And it's very helpful for us to take the same position that God wanted Samuel to take. When somebody asks us to go against Scripture, and we're not able to do that, nor will we do that, they're not rejecting us. They're rejecting God. You know? They're rejecting God. Um, God forbid if your kids stray away from the Lord. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting God. Now, what do we take from this? And here's, the, here's that one thing. If there's a so what in here that you need to get, it's this. If we embrace the world, we are rejecting God. You cannot embrace the world and God at the same time. You are choosing right now. If I choose to embrace the world, then by default, I am willfully rejecting God. But if I am to embrace God, I must reject the world. There is no in-between, and yet Christians try unsuccessfully to do it over and over and over, and it never works. The definition of insanity is trying the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. There are a whole lot of Christians out there that are insane because we think we can embrace the world and all of its philosophies and all these things. We can use these things and we can can be, be helped by them and affirmed by them and God will be okay with it and it never, ever works. Never. If you would embrace the world and its philosophies and its values, then you are rejecting God. Well, that's your opinion, Andy. No, it's not. James chapter 4, verse 4. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. For any man, if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but of the world. Friend, we have got to stop trying to meld the two together. I'm going to embrace the world's philosophy and scriptural truth. Nope, you've rejected scriptural truth. Can I tell you something, believe it, beloved, and believe it? (laughs) It works. You either embrace all of this book or you might as well embrace none of it. Well, Aaron, I'll tell you, I sure do like salvation by grace through faith alone. Amen. And I sure do like love and joy and peace and long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, temperance, and all that faith. I love that. And I love answered prayer. But I'll tell you, I get made fun of when I tell people that I believe that God created this world in six literal 24-hour days. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to be a Bible believer, but I'm going to accept that maybe he used evolution to create the world. Guess what you've done? You've rejected God's word. 
Are you saying I can't be saved and believe in theistic evolution? I'm saying you can't be right with God and believe in theistic evolution. Right. That's what I'm saying. Amen. Because if theistic, if theistic evolution is true, then God lied. And if God lied, he ain't God. And if he ain't God, then we have no hope. The Bible says the evening and the morning were the first day, and the evening and the morning were the second day. There's no other way to translate that but evening and morning. That in six 24-hour days, God created everything we see. Can I tell you something? If he's not God enough to create where we live, he's not God enough to take us to where we're going to live. I sure do like salvation by grace through faith, but, but holy living, boy, I tell you, that's tough. I don't want anything to do with that. There's no in-between, y'all. We're either embracing the world and rejecting God, or we're embracing God and rejecting the world. I'm sorry, if you're expecting to come in here this morning on a Sunday morning and get me to tell you that you can live, for the, you can live the life of Solomon and go to the reward of Paul, you can't. You just can't. My job's to tell you the truth. And that's the truth. So what was wrong with the request? It embraced the world and it rejected God. So, the next question we ask, what contributed to the request? What in the world brought these people to this place? Well, the first thing that contributed to this wrong request was poor behavior. But specifically, poor behavior by God's representatives. Look at verse 1 came to pass when Samuel was old that he made his sons judges over Israel. name of the firstborn was Joel. name of the second, Abiah. They were judges in Beersheba. And his sons walked not in his ways, but turned aside after lucre and took bribes and perverted judgment. Then all the elders of Israel gathered themselves together and came to Samuel unto Ramah and said unto him, Behold, thou art old, and thy sons walk not in thy ways. Now make us a king." Now, the Israelites were responsible for their desires and their decisions, but the unethical behavior of Samuel's sons did not help. One of the scariest thoughts that I entertain as a pastor is how many people have made bad decisions because of my poor example. I've not always been the best example of a godly man. And there might be some people out there that while they are responsible for their decisions, I didn't help them do right. That weighs on me. Can I tell you something? It weighs on me to think that as a representative of God to you as a pastor, but also as a representative of God to my children, how many kids have drifted away from the faith because mom and dad offered a poor example? 
can I get personal and you know that I love you? If you can't get your kids to darken the door of a church, it may be because you rarely did yourself. If, you can't, if your kids are biblically illiterate, it may be because they rarely saw you reading the Bible. If my kids are bought into all kinds of worldly things, it may be because of what they saw me watching or heard me listening to. Yes, they're responsible for their own decisions at a a point, but my poor behavior, I represent God to my kids. And I represent the Lord to this church and to this community. But listen, listen, Christian, Every one of us represents God to this world. The Bible says that we are what? Ambassadors. And our poor behavior may be the reason a whole lot of people out here aren't living for God. They look at us and they see our complete lack of joy. They see our judgmental attitude. They see our inconsistent living and they think, if that's Christianity, I want no part of it. Shame on us. What should they see? They should see joyful people living consistent, victorious lives for Jesus' glory. That's what they should be seeing. God help us to get there. Poor behavior had an issue with it. You know what else? Something else contributed to this request, cultural assimilation. We're back in verse 5. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. Rather than shine as an example to the nations, they longed to be like them. And we too are in danger of assimilation when what the Bible calls for is separation. You don't hear this preached much anymore. But you cannot get around the truth of Bible separation. Now, here's where we messed up. We mistook separation for isolation. Let me tell you what separation is not. Separation is not, I'm not having anything to do with anybody. It doesn't see everything just jot and tittle like I see it. If he were still on the earth today and were available to come preach here, Southern Baptist Adrian Rogers would absolutely preach behind my independent Baptist pulpit. But if people don't dress just like we do and act just like we do and do things just as we do, then we mark them off as being godless reprobates and we do our own. That is not separation. i tell you what else it's not. It's not Holier-than-thou, nose-up-in-the-air, won't have anything to do with sinners. How in the world are you going to reach a sinner if you won't talk to them? Oh, I'm not saying that you ought to jump in in the middle of what they're doing and be a part of it. Christians ought to be the most approachable people around. Second Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? 
What communion hath light with darkness? What concord hath Christ with Belial? What part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God, as God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. And I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. What is biblical separation? Biblical separation is when there is a clear difference between us and the world. We could, we could use another shun. We could say insulation. I've got to be in the world, but with God's help, I can insulate myself to not be like the world. But instead of shining, they became like them. Instead of assimilation, there should have been separation. What contributed to this request? Poor behavior, particularly by God's representatives. Cultural assimilation, you know what else? Idolatry. Verse 7. And the Lord said unto Samuel, Hearken unto the voice of the people, and all they say unto thee. For they have not rejected thee, but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them. According to all the works which they have done since the day that I brought them up out of Egypt, even unto this day, wherein they have forsaken me and served other gods, so do they also unto thee. Their request was rooted in idolatry and their tendency to worship false gods. Can I remind you of what idolatry is? We, we have this idea that idolatry is we go home and bow down to our little Buddha statue. I dare say in this room this morning, I don't think any of you have anything that you go home and bow down to. But idolatry is defined as bringing anything at or above the level, level of God's place in your life. First, uh, Colossians 1.18, that in all things he, Jesus, might have preeminence. And if there's anyone or anything that is at the level or above Jesus in your life, it is an idol. It is an idol. Well, I, I, don't, I don't really do a whole lot for the Lord because I just, I just get so distracted with other things. Then they're your idols, friend. A spouse can be an idol. Kids, oh, my soul. And, and listen, my daughter's 12 now. My son's four, almost five. And we're starting to enter into these things where we're having to explain to them why we make choices that mean they can't do what they want to do in favor of doing what God wants us to do. We're there. But I have seen so many parents capitulate to the wishes of their kids to keep their kids happy and abandon God in the process. Amen. It's getting quiet in here, but I know it's so. I know it's so, and it's my job to tell you it's so. Our kids are looking for us to lead. They're looking for us to show what it is to serve God, and we can very easily make our kids our idols. Sports has become our idol. Let me make, it, let me make some folks real mad. We had a hunter education, so hunter education class yesterday, and it was good. I'll be honest with you. I don't much care whether or not they made it legal to hunt on Sundays or not. Christians ought not be hunting on Sunday. You ought to be in God's house. You're legalists, fine. Not forsaking the assembly of yourselves together. Hunting can be an idol. Fishing can be an idol. Hey, sleep can be an idol. Sunday's the only day I have to sleep in. Get over it and get to God's house. Man, what's gotten into me today? These people were 
prone to worship things other than God, and so are we. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Idolatry will contribute to this. But you know what else? Boy, this one got me. This was what contributed to this request? Poor behavior, cultural assimilation, idolatry, and then flat out laziness. Laziness? Yep. Look at verse number 19. Nevertheless, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel, and they said, Nay, but we will have a king over us, that we also may be like all the nations, and that our king may judge us, right? Watch this, and go out before us and fight our battles. What was once their responsibility... would now be abdicated to another. And did you know that going along with the world is the path of least resistance? Life is easier, at least initially, when you go along with the world. And when we choose that path, we're being spiritually lazy and we're abdicating all the responsibilities that God placed on us. And we're letting other people fight our battles for us. Shame on the parent that lets the Sunday school teacher and the Christian school teacher fight for their kids. Shame on the boss that doesn't care enough about their employees to fight for them. Shame on the family member that doesn't care about their unsafe family member enough to tell them about Jesus. Shame on the neighbor that abdicates their responsibilities. It's lazy. What was the request that they might have a king? What was wrong with the request? It embraced the world, and it rejected God. What contributed to the request? Poor behavior by God's representatives, cultural assimilation, idolatry, and laziness. And then what resulted? What happened? Look at verse number 11. Verse 10 says, And Samuel told all the words of the Lord unto the people that asked of him a king. And he said, This will be the manner of the king that shall reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them for himself, for his chariots, and to be his horsemen. And some shall run before his chariots. And he will appoint him captains over thousands and captains over fifties and will set them, to, set them to ear his ground and to reap his harvest and to make his instruments of war and instruments of his chariots. And he will take your daughters to be confectionaries and to be cooks and to be bakers. And he will take your fields and your vineyards and your olive yards, even the best of them, and give them to his servants. And he will take the tenth of your seed and of your vineyards and give to his officers and to his servants. And he will take your men servants and your maid servants and your goodliest young men and your asses and put them to his work. He will take the tenth of your sheep, and ye shall be his servants, and ye shall cry out in that day because of your king, which ye shall have chosen you, and the Lord will not hear you in that day. What happens when you make decisions for the world? Number one, you'll lose your kids. 
you'll lose your kids. He's going to conscript them into service. They're going to work for him. They're going to die in battle. You're going to never see them. And when you, when you make a decision for the world, guess what? You'll lose your kids. You'll lose your substance. You start moving away from living for God, let me tell you something, stuff starts disappearing. Well, no, I'll tell you, working that overtime, I've actually got quite a bit of stuff. Guess what? It'll go away eventually, and you'll be left with nothing. And sometimes it's not that you're left with nothing. You sit in the middle of it and look around and realize you really have nothing. There's a whole lot of rich people out there, and it's not wrong to be rich. It's not wrong to have money as long as money doesn't have you. But there's a whole lot of rich people out there that are sitting in the middle of a whole lot of stuff, and they have nothing. There's no substance. And he says, you'll lose your substance. But you know what else? And worst of all, if you can imagine, you'll lose God's blessing. You shall cry out in that day because of your king, which ye shall have chosen you, and the Lord will not hear you in that day. In spite of this warning from a man who had always faithfully told them the truth, they persisted in their request. Samuel probably threw tears saying, don't you understand? If you go through with this, here's what this king is going to do. He's going to take you away from your kids. He's going to take you away from your substance. And he's going to take you away from God's blessing. Nevertheless, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, nay, but we will have a king over us that we also may be like all the nations and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. Man, if you know me at all, you know this about me. I don't think I'm anything. It staggers me that God lets me do what I do. And I could, give you, I could give you a list of 10 names of guys right now that I think would do a better job here than I would. Godlier men that walk with God far much more closely and are much more successful in their walk with him. I could tell you right now, there's people in this room that would pastor this church better than I would. But I've tried to be faithful. And I've tried to be truthful. I've always been honest. I've never lied to you. And I am telling you, if you embrace the world, you are rejecting God, and eventually you will lose your kids, you will lose your substance, and you will lose God's blessing. I'm telling you, it's true, and yet some in this room will leave and say, no, we will have a king. And then I have nothing to do but watch from a distance. As all of it happens. The world's not our friend. So God granted to them that which was not his will. And Samuel heard all the words of the people. And he rehearsed them in the ears of the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, hearken unto their voice and make them a king. 
starting with Solomon. Saul wasn't great, but starting with Solomon and following through the 20 kings of Judah and the 19 kings of Israel, everything that Samuel predicted came true in devastating proportions. Ultimately, the people of God would be carried away captives. The northern kingdom would go to Assyria. The southern kingdom to Babylon, where they would all eventually meet. And Hosea sums up this whole message in one verse very, very succinctly. I gave thee a king in mine anger and took him away in my wrath. So what? So what? What are you asking God for today? Are you praying within his will? You see, it is God's will that we have a king. So long as he's King Jesus. But so many have demanded a king that is rooted in this world. Yes, Lord, I love you, but I want what this world has to offer. I want the path of least resistance. And if the world is your choice, even if you are saved, you may have it. But I am telling you from personal experience, it will come with devastating consequences. I am convinced that there are elements of my life that I will never rise above. I will never accomplish more than what I have because I chose the world and it put a ceiling in my life. There are things that God wanted for me that I'll never have because one too many times I chose the world. You may have the world, but it will come with devastating consequences. We'll lose our kids. We'll lose our substance. We'll lose God's blessing. People like Samuel, whether it's your pastors, preachers, teachers, parents, loved ones, they've tried to be faithful in telling us the truth. But some of us have demanded a king like the world, a king of culture, a king of comfort, a king of carnality. And we embrace that, but in doing so, we reject God and his world. And when we do that, we stand to lose all that Israel did and more. Because this is what happens when we want the world.